Progressive Rugby League. Friends, hello. As you're probably aware, I, John O'Duncan, am a Sydney cider. I've resided in Sydney for all but six months of my life. And so you could say I'm a child of Sydney rugby league culture in all its self-centred and narcissistic, shall we say, glory. Now, I'm simplifying here, but in a way, there are two types of rugby league fans in Australia. There are Sydney rugby league fans and everyone else. Growing up in Sydney where club boundaries are blurry and suburbs bleed into each other, there's a good chance your mates were a hodgepodge of rugby league loyalties. I grew up about 10 minutes drive from Parramatta Stadium, but in my class were also Tigers fans, Manly fans, Dragons fans, Roosters fans, and a whole bunch of kids who, remarkably, didn't give a rats. And because of that dilution of rugby league passions that I experienced growing up, I've always been curious about what it's like to live in a one-team town. Does it really galvanise a place when things are going well? And how's the claustrophobia when they aren't? Well, here's a good chance for me to learn, because today we're talking The Milk, a 40-year odyssey of fandom for rugby league's great enigma. It's a book about being a Canberra Raiders fan by the expert yarn spinner and Raiders fan Matt Cleary. The Milk really is a fun read as it traverses some of the Raiders' biggest moments as well as their most unsung and random through Matt's unique perspective. You could say it's one man's ode to his local team, but it's also a very handy glimpse into the way our bush capital and the Raiders have in many ways come of age together over the last four decades. It's a great book and a worthy addition to the PRL book club canon. So, let's talk lactose. Matt Cleary, welcome to the Progressive Rugby League podcast. Jono, it's a great pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me, Matt. No worries at all. Thanks for joining the show, Matt. Now, Matt, you're a Canberra boy. You grew up and spent your formative years there. Can you give us a glimpse into the hometown of your childhood? What was Canberra like in the early 80s around the time the Raiders were being admitted into the New South Wales Rugby League competition? So Canberra was both probably a uh, four-seasonal sort of place. And you had definitely, obviously, cold winters, but you had you know, sticking hot summers and mild springs and autumns. Um, you had four distinct footy codes. I mean, cricket sort of ruled the summer as a matter of course, but you had the four distinct football codes. And there wasn't, this is probably late 70s, early 80s, when I sort of first became conscious <laughs> of sport. But there were four distinct codes in town and, and probably, the, I mean, there was Canberra City and the National Soccer League, but the, probably the biggest one at the time, late 70s, early 80s, was Australian Rules mm-hmm. and the ACTAFL pronounced ACTAFL on the back of a big full 40 used to play for St Kilda called Kevin Cowboy Neal and he took Ainsley, a local footy club, to four premierships in sort of six years, but he was a big personality, had a big moustache. And Australian Rules was very much probably the game mm. in town. Though you know, you could go out and watch local rugby and see Mick O'Connor or David Campisi. The local league comp was very strong. You always seemed to be Queenian Blues and Queenian Roos in grand finals. Uh, and obviously, yeah, National Soccer League was. You know, you could go and watch Marconi play Canberra City. <laughs> but yeah, the Aussie, Aussie Rules was the game. So much so that the authorities tried to get Sydney's to also the South Melbourne Swans up to Canberra, they, were, they put their hat in the ring to the then VFL when they were expanding and you know, mm. South Melbourne were, were a basket case financially, obviously Sydney took over that mantle. Then the Canberra Raiders came to town and you know, for, for sports loving kids of an age, you know, the New South Wales RL was the game and we're all Eels fans or Dragons fans or Bulldogs fans mm. 
I like your introduction, kids in class. Every that was the same. That was our way. Yeah. As well, even though no kid had been to Manly or <laughs> Belmore or Cobra Jubilee, we just that, you know they were our heroes and we loved the game. Obviously, eighty two Raiders set up and changed everything. Um, you know, the, the first year we go to Seaford Oval and you see as many, if not more, sort of Eels flags, Dragons flags as, as Canberra Raiders. But that that changed. It's ready for eighty five. 86 when Mal turned up changed everything and then yeah but it was a great place to grow up sorry the answer question great place to grow up safe easy to get around two hours to the snow two hours to the beach and you know, as a kid you didn't know any different you thought it was fantastic yeah and so that is one thing I didn't realise that Canberra was far from a rugby league town in the 70s and 80s. I just assumed it was, uh, but it seems that it was the Raiders that cemented rugby league as a big deal in the capital. Now, how long do you think it took for Canberra to really take the Raiders to heart? You sort of mentioned that sort of mid-80s period. There's a quote in the book, Mel Meninga, there's a game actually early in 87 when the Raiders beat, oh, I can't remember who they beat, but they did it at Seaford Oval. It was one of the bigger teams in 87 Mm. just on their run towards the grand final. And Mal Manunga looked into the grandstand and saw more Raiders fans and, and it would have been Parramatta yeah. fans, Eels, because they you know they're running premiers mm. from 86 as well. And you said to Gary Coyne, yeah, we've finally done it. So that was that was Mal's observation. So it took, yeah, probably until 87 that we're a full Raiders rugby league town. But, yeah, that had been building. 84, they had a good season. 85, 86 were middling, but they were, they were still the big game in town because they played in the big comp. Mm. I think I've, I've missed out another little team there, um, the Canberra Cannons basketball. Of course. Won, won a couple of national, three national titles in the 80s. And, Phil and, Smythe. Yeah, had their, had their moment. I'm great Phil Smythe, Herb McGooch and some very good players. And they, they had their moment in the sun for basketball. Canberra you know, winning a national title. Uh, I, I imagine it'll be the same for Wollongong or Newcastle. Mm. Oh, shit, I don't know. Um, Rockhampton. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> for... Uh, of a medium good size bush town. Canberra was a bush town, mate. Um, yeah. You know, and Queenman was a sort of like a big suburb of it. But uh, the Raiders are very much a Queenman story. But uh, they should have been probably called the Monero Raiders, really, because, um, you know, like the Illawarra Steelers weren't the Wollongong Steelers. So yeah. We, you know, Canberra, the Canberra Raiders, they represented the region, you know, to Goulburn, to Binalong, Jindabyne, mm. <laughs> you know, Kuma. Yeah, so it was a whole, whole region. Yeah, so I was reading your book, like I say, it was, it was a fun experience, but it, it did teach me a lot. And, I'm embarrassed to say, for example, that I didn't realise that the Raiders' uh, first home ground, Seaford Oval, isn't actually in the ACT, but across the border in, in Queanbeyan, and that it really was, you know, the Queanbeyan club that was the, the real driving force behind the formation of the Raiders. Now, Matt, as I said at the top, I'm a, a self-centred Sydney rugby league fan. It's all about the Sydney fishbowl for me, you know, uh, the Coogee Bay Hotel, the, the Hill at Leichhardt, the Burning Down Cumberland Oval, Naldi's, the Panthers, World of Entertainment, all that. So I have no idea about anything else. But is or was the border a big deal down there? Is there a Springfield, Shelbyville vibe between your Queanbeyans, <laughs> your Jerobombras and towns within the ACT? Or are you all just one big happy family? <laughs> Today, I think it's probably a bit more, much more of a community. Certainly when I was growing up, Queanbeyan uh, was derided as struggle town. And it was across the border. It was probably lower socioeconomic mm. sort of town. But we weren't not... You know, we'd play Queanbeyan and cricket, you know, and Aussie rules, and they were just like, they were like another mm. big suburb. They're always tough. You always had tough games against Queanbeyan. You didn't know if you were playing fourth grade cricket or, or junior rugby league or Aussie rules. You know, they, they came harder. So they, there was an edge. Uh, and I'd say, you know, growing up, 
Uh, you asked the Queen of your kids. They probably had a little brother, big brother thing. You know, they knew they were called Struggle Town, yeah. <laughs> so that would would not have sat well with them. So there was there was a, a Springfield Shelbyville. I don't, I don't mind that. I mean, you know, the Queen of guys probably think you know Canberra Shelbyville and, <laughs> and there's Springfield. So yeah. there was. But these days, I say, and um, you know, this is I'm outside looking in a little bit. I haven't lived there for 20 years, but I, you know, all my mates and family mm. are down there, and I, I get down three, four, eight, you know, six times a year, sort mm. of thing. I'd say, and Ricky Stewart has probably done as much uh, as anyone to make it so but I think you know it's a very much a regional club now and Queen in Canberra there's not that divide mm. even though you know obviously Queen in New South Wales and there's you know there's a few little different things but Queen is not the little brother anymore it's just a yeah. it's almost you know, it's a big town and um, as you said it, it, it started the Raiders you know without those McIntyre and Queen Lee clubs it, it just wouldn't happen yeah so, Good yeah. stuff, Queen. <laughs> yeah. So, Matt, what's it like supporting a one-town team? Should I, a Sydney lifer, used to the melting pot of rugby league allegiances that occupy my grill, uh, should I be envious of fans from one-town teams? What am I missing? I don't know, mate. Um, I've only sort of only known the one experience. I live up on the northern beaches now, and it's sort of they're definitely a one-team yeah, that's true. town. Uh, <laughs> in fact, in fact, you know, this this part of Sydney reminded me a little bit of Canberra in that it's slightly separate from. Yeah, in better commas, Sydney, just as the Shire probably is a little bit as well. Yeah, true. Yeah, I think um, you probably do miss a bit because it is really nice. You know, when the, when the Raiders were going great, you know, butchers would have the green sausages, and the, yeah. um, you know, the processions down the street. You know, Mel Inger at, at the time, and then, you know, later guys like Terry Campisi and Alan Tung were just stars in town, and are uh, just stars. John Bateman, Jack White, and these guys yeah. you know, carrying on that mantle. And, they do, they do so much for the, the sense of self, and certainly when the Raiders won in 89, mm. um, getting there in 87, the grand final, I mean, a great team in 88, was good, but the 89 grand final was when Canberra, which, you know, and, you know, talk about being patted on the head, but Canberra had always been derided as the, the city without a soul, mm. so to speak, won the grand final and, and, and lined the streets and, and partied for a week. Yeah. We just, I think that Canberra as a city, probably, I don't know, use the term, came of age, but certainly evolved into... There was pride there for the, you know, for the footy club and the day that this team had represented us. And, you know, we'd beaten the Sydney, which had been yeah. our sort of big brother and that little brother dynamic. Yeah. And I guess also there's an additional sense of ownership you get from that one-town team nature. And also the fact that it's a relatively new club. So a lot of fans have been there from the beginning too. Yeah, that's a good point. Uh, ownership's the real driving force of, I suppose, the tribal sports fandom. And, you know, if you're within the, the city limits of, you know, your town, there's, there's boundaries, family and friends are all Raiders fans and you're a Canberra person. Yeah, 100%. It's it's good. I, as I've got older, I've sort of, that's <laughs> funny, I, um, I've sort of become more of a fan. and It's quite fun. You know, I enjoy watching the Raiders. I enjoy, you know, putting on the green kit. I, I have favourite players. And, you know, I'm talking on podcasts like yours about, you know, the, yeah. how they're going to go this week and, and reaching out to supporters and, and it's been cool to write the book and, and you know, touch base with yourself a little bit yeah. uh, as well. And go with that. But yeah, look, the tribal nature of, of footy fan and yeah, probably, I mean, as you said, you live in a melting pot uh, of, a, of suburbs that are sort of malleable in terms of borders. Mm. I mean, yeah, the Canterbury, Congra, you know, Balmain, these are sort of, as the crow flies, what do you, I mean, it's probably about the size of Canberra. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. There, you know what I mean? So, yeah, it's slightly different. Um, we, we, in fact, I'd say when growing up, we are all sort of, I don't know, it's not evidence of Sydney and, you know, having that fandom, but uh, we always thought it was better. Like, we always thought Sydney, you know, that was where rugby league was, that's mm. where the Harbour Bridge was, and, and we, us growing up, yeah, you didn't feel inferior, but you just felt that 
Sydney was like New York. Yeah. You know, you can make it anywhere. And for them, for our region to represent and you know, win the grand final, and, you know, have, and by 1990, have one of the great teams there's ever been, mm. 94, you know, mm. for that period, it was good. <laughs> yes. Inferior no longer. Now, Matt, you mentioned you moved to Sydney and now you live on the northern beaches, which I imagine is a really nice place when it's not hosing down with rain like it has been for the last uh, three months. Now, (laughs) as I said, the the good thing about living in Sydney with all its different allegiances is that when you meet a fellow fan of your team, it only takes a a couple of names of former players to identify the type of fan you are and really the type of person you are. And before you know it, you're bonding. So as a, a Parramatta fan, for example, if I meet a fellow Parramatta fan, I might say the names... Danny Krankovich, Chris Lawler, Stu Galbraith, before I mention the 80s backline. Now, my North City Bears fan friend just needs to say the name Gary Larson, and he's the king of the bar. What are the names that still resonate for you as a Raiders fan from those early days? When you bump into a fellow Raiders fan in Sydney, what names are you dropping to accelerate the bonding process? <laughs> um, it, it probably depends on how old you are, area you came from, people around my age and older. Gee, there's a fella called Louis Bond. He only played about four games, but everyone seems to remember Louis Bond. <laughs> I'm not sure where he came from. He was an oral first-year player. Yeah. Uh, David Grant's a big one from those early days. Craig Bellamy, you know, of he went on to become a famous coach. But, you know, he and Chris O'Sullivan were in all local boys as well. Mm. And, again, they were sort of emblematic of Canberra. They were a lot of guys' favourite players because they came from Canberra, Queanbeyan, and, and they were, early on, they certainly weren't as good because they were, you know, sort of 1920, but, they became excellent footy players and the club became good. You know, obviously, the, the Queenslanders turning up, Mel and Gary Belcher and these guys really helped. But yeah. it was always at heart the fact that they, you know, that these guys came from Canberra that you know, marked them out. There's a long list. <laughs> I, yeah. had a, I, had, I had my launch in Canberra recently at a pub and we got Chris O'Sullivan to come along and oh, nice. um, a fellow called Ashley Gilbert who, who played almost almost 200 games wow. uh, in a time when you know, guys you know, playing a lot of third and reserve grade sort mm. of thing. And, um, you know, he was just this big background. Very funny man, too. He's pretty young the beer now. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, ask, I mean, so you sort of date yourself. <laughs> your your uh, Danny Krinkovich will, will date you as well. So. Yeah, exactly right, yeah. <laughs> I mean, there's a few. Like, yeah, there's, there's quite a few sort of uh, characters. Terry Reagan, well, he was a character wherever he went. Yeah. You know, the model for Rich Reagan, if you like. Um, <laughs> Sammy Bacco, stories of legion about Sammy Bacco. Yeah, yeah. But, yeah, you can't go past the champions. And, yeah, Laurie Daly was always my favourite player about the same age. And that team from 88 uh, through to 90, well, probably for a decade, till Stuart and Clyde, great tragedy, went off to the Bulldogs. Yeah, they, they were they were awesome. One of the great teams. I mean, you, you put them up with the great Storm or Bulldogs dynasties. Um, yeah, there's probably, obviously, the 11 in a row Dragons playing yeah. never be done again. But, yeah, you put that Raiders team against 92, 93 Broncos, uh, anyone. They were our know, origin strength almost. Yeah, absolutely, and, and I imagine any of those names would get you into a get you into a shout pretty easily. Now, Matt, one of the great much, mate. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Now, one of the great things about the book is getting a sense of how the success of the Raiders changed both the, the town in a way, as you mentioned, and the club and the players too. Now, reading the book, to be honest, it, it did seem at times, particularly after the success came and the money started flowing, that the players kind of ran around like they owned the joint. Is that fair? And and by extension, how has the connection between the Raiders Club and the players and the community evolved over the years? Uh, they definitely did run around like they owned the place because arguably they did. <laughs> you know, they kept getting the keys of the city and um, a few of those blokes probably took it to heart. And, yeah, you talked to a few journos at the time covering them. A few of them did get 
well, typically for their boots, you know, they became sort of hard to deal with and mm. they were, they were treated like royalty in Canberra and acted thus <laughs> in yeah. certain ways and, um, yeah, there was a huge big drinking party culture at the time. Um, they trained hard and were, you know, were, were as good at footy club as, you know, any in Australia, professionally wise, but they enjoyed themselves off the field and, and you know, there was you know, so many stories of punch-ups in the private bin and all this sort of stuff. How's it evolved? I'd say now they're all bloody choir boys by <laughs> comparison. Uh, there's no comparison because of mobile phones and the, and the culture we live in. But, yeah, there was certainly an arrogance there, born of being so bloody good as yeah. well and being lauded and being so fated. I mean, yeah, they, they did well with the girls locally and, and sort of strutted into the pubs and they probably rub, rub certain types noses the wrong way and then you mix the alcohol with it and next thing you know they're all punching on. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> which, which, which again, you know, was a, which wasn't just the Raiders. It was a sort of a camera thing at the time. In the eighties and nineties, it was just uh, go out, and punch on, drink heaps, and punch on. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> Fair yeah. Enough. I mean, it was, it was a big bush town. Yeah, I mean, it was still it was a big bush town and rough and ready. Yeah. Fair enough. Now, Matt, you love a yarn, and you're you're brilliant at telling them. Can you share your reflections on how the changing media landscape has affected your ability to make a living from telling stories? How have you had to adjust? And do you consider it just the way it is, uh, a matter of just rolling with the punches? Or have we lost something as we've moved into the, the current information age? Both, I'd say. It is what it is. And it's, there's no going back to the hard copy that I used to make my living from. I, mean, I used to be a magazine sports feature writer, now wrote for Inside Sport, Rugby mm. League Week, Big League, and there were you know, Inside Cricket, Inside Rugby, there were three or four golf magazines and travel mags, and I wrote for them all, and you know, had, a, had a great time from year 2000 through to probably the, maybe 2017, well, when did, yeah, League Week's died five years ago almost the other day, yeah. so that was probably when it, that was when it really dawned on me that digitally was now the way to go, which... Um, again, you know, it is how it is, and there's no going back. But I think 100% we've lost something. I think phones and the internet being free, it's, you know, attention spans. You know, a big long read is a pleasurable thing. And mm. I still would love to sit down with a magazine and you know, and read three, 4,000 words by uh, an author that I like. Mm. Um, but, but then again, it doesn't seem to be the time. We seem to be have a lot less time, a lot busier. So yeah, we have, we have lost that. We have probably lost the sort of slow food nature of pleasurable sit down, just you and the magazine yeah. reading experience. And, you know, you still you talk to people today how much they miss rugby league week. You know, turning up once a week, mm. but unfortunately, not enough of the buses were buying it. So because yeah. they were getting content, as I hate the bloody word, but there it is. Um, <laughs> you know, NRL.com or Sydney Morning Herald was online, so yeah. you know, a weekly magazine such as that couldn't really produce news because it was getting updated in real time on buddy facebook so yeah yes you grab any group of old journos probably you know age of sort of about like 40 something plus together and just sort of whinge about the good old <laughs> days but but again you know no one's not even enough to think it's people are gonna start reading magazines again which is a shame but uh they are written books so uh you know I've, I've written this one now and i'm planning on writing others so Beautiful. that's that's how i'll sort of I do a bit of online stuff, but you know, to fund this book, I ride great big lawnmowers down at Manly Golf Club, mate. <laughs> yeah. I spend you know, three, four mornings a week raking the bunkers, and I'm a groundsman, you know, to sort of pay the mortgage. That's while I, while I go off on my various passion plays and write books. So, yeah, 
Yeah, I, I might have do golf tours as well. So. Okay, yeah, cool. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's just one of those things when you talk about long reads, and I'm the same as you. I love a long read, but I must admit, I've signed up to a couple of kind of websites that that do that kind of thing. But I must admit, I, I don't really use them as much as I want. And then I start questioning, well, I'm not really using it. So yeah, I mean, I must admit, I'm, I'm guilty. Uh, one of those people who would love the idea of it, but don't uh, indulge in it often enough. Oh, I was going to say, in the States, magazines are down, but they're still, they're still a job for people because they have a sort of a different model. They have a lot more subscribers. Yeah. And people just get them in the mail rather than having to go to a newsagent and buy Rugby League Week. So, you know, and so the actual magazine itself is relatively cheap. I mean, America's a different beast because it's such a bigger scale, but they can survive because the, the magazines to subscribe is fairly cheaper because they have such numbers that they can sell advertising. So they're still... Basically, that's why the market is no good for rugby league week inside sport. Yeah. No, because advertisers are going to Facebook and going online and yeah. uh, trying to get subscriber models digitally. Yeah. And everyone's doing their best. And yeah, it, it's better in some ways, maybe, but it's not as good, uh, I suggest. But it is what it is, mate. Yeah, fair enough. Now, to focus a bit more on the field, uh, you make the somewhat awkward but relevant observation that Craig Bellamy rock-solid player from the early years, as you mentioned, was in the running to coach the club in the early 2000s, but was ultimately passed on. He was, of course, a, a largely unknown quantity as a coach back then, and he, of course, went on to become one of the great coaches across any sporting code ever. Do Raiders fans hypothesize about what could have been if the doors slid towards bellyache? Do you count the premierships that could have been, or do you studiously avoid the topic Different strokes for different folks, mate. But uh, yeah, look, it, it's it's a very much a coulda, shoulda, woulda one. It's totally hypothetical. At the time, they made a call to go with Matthew Elliott, and you know, he's a good coach. Matt Elliott, you know, yeah. come into the finals, into the top fours, and um, like you said, uh, Belly Eight was seen as a fitness guy. You know, he's mad, mad fitness guy, but yeah. was relatively untried, untested as as a coach. Obviously, went up to Brisbane, did an apprenticeship under the great Wayne Bennett, and. Yeah, mate, and took his you know his own little brand of special sauce down yeah. to Melbourne, where you know a perfect storm of players turned up for him as well. You know, Cooper Cronk, Cam yeah. Smith, Billy Slater, all mate, those guys are all they're still born on the same day. I think Smith and Slater, mm. and the other obviously Greg Inglis getting down there was was handy as well, and Israel Folau and a few other blokes that mm. somehow fit under the salary cap. So, ha! <laughs> um, but you know, Billy Axsony, he's had a, an awesome career and you know he's gonna be spoken about in you know with, with Jack Gibson and Wayne Bennett as one of the one of the all time greats. Yeah. because um, he's he's just continued whoever goes down there, you know, you could look a guy like Jerome Hughes or yeah. Brandon Smith, good players. They go down Billy Ake just runs them ragged, obviously invests time in them and you know, I look at those Bromwich brothers mm. just <laughs> this hard bastards. I mean at one stage the Raiders you could argue the Raiders could have had because they you know Cameron Smith was a chance of going to the Raiders at one stage, but uh, Storm took him, and then mm. Jonathan Thurston was a chance of going to the Raiders after you know, his grand final with the Canterbury Bulldogs in yep. 2004. But the Raiders had a couple of young five eights and and chose Jason Smith instead mm. to sort of oversee Todd Carney and Terry Campisi to sort of mentor them. And that, at the time, that was the right decision, and mm. then he did. Jason Smith is a really good player. Yeah. Jonathan Thurston would have been here, but yeah, you can't, they couldn't see in the future. And all those three guys at the time, Thurston, Smith, and Bellamy, obviously became three champions of the game. They were nobodies. And, you know, again, you can't 
they were obviously all talented, but they, you couldn't predict it. I mean, like the same as like, we talk about Shane Warne these days, but yeah. no one saw Shane Warne, age 19, 20, you know, fat kid playing for Victoria as mm. being anything but a maybe a half-decent state spinner. But, yeah. Uh, I don't know, maybe a St Kilda, wish they kept him playing footy. Anyway, no, it's, it's a hypothetical, and yeah. I don't think Canberra fans don't actually lay up a weight to them, you know, what could have been. Because they just, yeah, you just had, they had what they had, they had some success. Matt Elliott had some success. That's true. Um, you know, Neil Henry came after him, had some success. They they made top fours, but as they, I call them the great enigma because they were, they, they'd have a great year, shit year, great year, shit year, great <laughs> week, shit week. You know, um, <laughs> yeah. They're a funny, funny mob, so, which they're still, still doing at the moment. So. Yeah. <laughs> something, something in the water. Yeah. Now, Matt, uh, speaking of coaches, I've got a few friends who are Raiders fans, and I, what I find funny is their relationship with Ricky Stewart. Now, of course, I grew up in the 90s and Ricky Stewart was the coolest player. The best kicking game, the best passing game, so many memorable moments. But for Raiders fans, there's a really strong bond. So many times over the years, I'll be at a pub with my Raiders mates and I might niggle away at another Raiders fade out or a Ricky press conference blow up, you know, as mates do. Uh, but for them, there's this weird loyalty to Ricky, like uh, good or bad, he's part of the family and his position is his position in that family. And it's funny, even when things are clearly not going well, my friends will only ever criticize Ricky with the caveat of, we love Ricky. <laughs> What's that about? What, what is this relationship between Ricky Stewart and Raiders fans? Well, he's a child of the capital, Queen being kid, so he's very much emblematic of the club in terms of being a local bloke, awesome player, you know, premiership winner. He's one of us. I suppose, yeah. um, he's come home sort of thing as well. So when he was coaching at the Roosters and Cronulla, locals, you know, they thought that's what he does. You know, he's up in Sydney where it's bigger and better. Then, but then he then he came home and he came home for you know, family reasons as well. Yeah. As as quite a lot of sort of expats sort of do to raise family, and you know, he's, he's a bit older than that. But yeah, him coming home very much appreciated as a, as a club legend because you know, a lot of you know when. He, you go up in Canberra, people do take off. You know, like myself, live in Sydney. People go and go to the overseas. But, you know, Rick chose Canberra and bought in as well. And so he didn't just, you know, come back to, as a professional coach of the footy tribe and just do that. Mm. He, he's very community-oriented. I'll give you an example. A mate of mine, it's in the book, but a mate of mine lives out just sort of south of Tuggeranong and he, he made a footy ground. Like, he had this, he's got a property out there and he had this big chunk of land. So he... He made his ground and he, he brought in soil and he flattened it out and put up posts and he, he made this great little sort of local ground just for something to do. Or he called it his field of dreams. <laughs> you know, if you build it, they'll come. They had, a, they had an open day and uh, Ricky came along. Ricky heard about it through some mates. Ricky came along and nice. cut the ribbon of this funny little footy ground. <laughs> now they had a little plaque, but that's just a sort of, he just loves that community stuff. He loves you know, that, yeah, <laughs> that yeah. sort of stuff. And, it was a great community. You know, the fires in 2003, people rallied together, but it's, there's a pride there, and, and Ricky coming back has sort of exemplified that and uh, mm. is appreciated. And thus, he's, I wouldn't say, untouchable. He's, you know, half, I reckon, you know, by half time of the bloody game against the Titans the other night, there were people <laughs> going, bloody Ricky, bloody Ricky. But, you know, by full time, he's their bloody friend again. And, yeah. you, know, um, you know, his best mate's the CEO, and that's <laughs> probably ultimately where it lies. But, you know, he, he would have to have three or four absolute bludges of the years in a row for it to be... I mean, look, he'd probably jump himself if that happened. If, if, you know, if, he were, if they were bottled yeah. for a couple of years in a row, he'd, he'd walk off the plank himself, I'd say. But for the moment, yeah, they love him. Yeah, no. Now, Matt, has this exercise of writing the book made you reflect on the concept of nostalgia? Do you trawl through the archives and come out 
thinking, gee, the world was so much better back then? Or do you try to keep a distance from the past? What do you think we're doing when we're, we're skipping down memory lane? And, and why do you think we're so attracted to it? Yeah, I just think we love it young. You know, human beings, you know, since we were bloody cavemen, sat around the campfire telling each other stories. Old yarns, people can hear them again and again. It's like kids hearing bedtime stories, you know, over and over and over. They just, it's enjoyable. So, you know, people do have probably rose-colored glasses for the past, you know, nostalgia sells. Mm. Uh, you know, the retro footy jumpers, I don't know the numbers, but they sell pretty well. Yeah. I mean, Newtown, Newtown Jets, for instance, sell as many footy jumpers as West Tigers. Mm. Now, everybody inside the place, New South Wales Cup or whatever it is. Yeah. And they've, they've struck a chord with, with locals, many of whom would have been born when they bloody last in the league. So, yeah, um, yeah just love a yarn. For, like we all, you know, when we go to the pub, we tell a story. What do you mean up to? Tell a story. Yeah. Did you hear about Macca? Yeah, tell us. <laughs> and then, you know, it's a human thing. But, yeah, I mean, I don't know. We, shouldn't, we definitely shouldn't focus too much on it. There's a, there's a danger of disappearing up our own orifice from the olden days, you know, where things, some things were better and most things improve with age, like, uh, well, progressive rugby league podcast, mate. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, know, we, progress is progress. Uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, the jury's out on that, but no, thank you. Now, uh, after right. the uh, after the glory years of the premierships in 89, 90, 94, and after all the greats of that era moved on, there, there was a enigmatic decade or two, as we've discussed. Some tough years, some pretty good. It was all yo-yo-like, you know, typical of many teams, really. But come the, the second half of yep. the 2010s, things started to turn a little. Ricky was back, of course, and all of a sudden the Raiders were, were making prelim finals uh, and, of course, the grand final in 2019. As a fan, how did that period compare to the previous era when the Raiders were contenders? Did, did it all come back to you, or was there a big difference? Big difference because of the people involved, but the fandom, I found... It was different because, you know, say John Bateman was my favourite player rather than Laurie Daly sort of thing, you know, but I liked the players. I probably liked them more in the recent years because mm. you knew, yeah, you knew all of them <laughs> around yeah. the traps uh, when they were, yeah, when they were strutting into pubs and stuff like that, which I didn't do mind, but, uh, yeah, yeah, they were, yeah, there was an arrogance about them, which, you know, I sort of was okay with because they were so good, but, but the, the, yeah, it's an interesting question. I mean, my age, you know, I was 24 and 94, and, I'm, you know, I was 49 in 2019, and I was just as on tenter hooks in grand finals as both times. So, yeah, the nature of fandom is interesting as, as you age. As I said, I've, I've really loved it, getting into it, being a fan. Yeah. You know, it's just uh, having a tribe, and the thing is, I like the players. Like, I, I do, you know, if I thought three or four more dickheads, I might drift away from them, but I just think they're good humans, and... I know they put in each week, and I know the coach gives us stuff. So, mm. you know, I just see guys like Chansey and Jordan Rappanova and Elliot Whitehead just trying just properly. They just know you're getting 100% from them, which, you know, maybe yeah. last year <laughs> when they had a few internal Russians, yeah. uh, George Williams' disaffection, and I think a couple of the other Pommy blokes being expats was sort of on their mate's side. Uh, I think last year was, I you know, would sort of forget about that. <laughs> but um, a lot of the I like the club, I like the brand, you know, I've got three or four Raiders hats, I've got shirts and I buy their kit and I consume them, so, Beautiful. and I like watching around, I like playing golf around these northern beaches when we beat them, which hopefully we bloody will this weekend, because <laughs> that would be good. <laughs> Just on, on the nature of fandom there, you're a fan of, you know, dozens of sports and different footy codes, is there something unique about being a rugby league fan compared to being a you know an AFL fan or a rugby union fan or a soccer fan or a basketball fan, is, is there something you've found that's unique 
about being a rugby league fan? I think that rugby league fans are slightly insecure. <laughs> um, there's a lot of there's guilty a lot of thing on about this being a yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, the greatest game of all. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Simply the best. There seems to be a lot of chest beating. There seems to be a lot of people going into bat for their game over the other games. Mm. Whereas, look at soccer, like the world. Yeah, like that's just the undisputed most massive game in the world. They don't go around telling each other they're the greatest because they just know they are. Whereas rugby league, I think, is a bit more. Yeah, yeah I, I, I find rugby league a little bit insecure and combative. Mm-hmm. With other codes, like I said, I, I, you know, I played rugby union as a young bloke and Aussie rules as a kid and watched soccer. You know, I, I like it. You know, I, I, this code wars thing, I find really tedious. People going in as unpaid foot soldiers for, you know, Super League was like that. Super, Super League was, you know, us first them and it was yeah. one code riven into. So, I, you know, there's your question. No, I mean, rugby league fans are um, generally loyal types who get out and, Watch their game, watch their team. Tribal in nature. I think Aussie rules fans are slightly different. Soccer fans are slightly different. Yeah. And then the other ones, sort of cricket fans, who are just, that's just sort of, you know, by rope, we all follow Australia, so in the cricket. Yeah. But oh, that doesn't have that sort of combative. You know, no, this, you just you go know, for a day summer. out. Cricket, yeah. Summer sort of thing, you know what I mean? Yeah. This year. Yeah, that's right. You know, go to the cricket and to be entertained and follow the Aussies. Yeah. All right, Matt, before we finish up, from a personal perspective, is there one moment or one person? or something that typifies or symbolises the Raiders' experience from the past 40 years? Oh, geez, it probably is the 89 Grand Final. Yep. In that it was the coming of age of both the club and the town. Um, you know, Bob Hawke was the Prime Minister. He really brought in and back to city, back to town. You know, it came from the work of Don Ferner and Les McIntyre uh, and a lot of uh, input. You know, John McIntyre at the time as well was huge for it. Uh, so it probably is 89, and it was such an unbelievable game too. And I'll, you know, I'll go to the grave saying it's the greatest grand final there's ever been. And, and I think it's the greatest decider. I can't, you know, I don't think there's been a better Super Bowl FA Cup anything yeah. than the 89 grand final for all the levels of story, line yeah. and the theatre and the drama and yeah, you know, the underdog when it's your team getting up. And I'm still, I had lunch with a mate today, a Balmain fan from from then, and he's still going, well, I don't like the Raiders so, <laughs> because of that. So, oh well, yeah. <laughs> but um, yeah, so probably '89. Melbourne is standing under the goalpost in '94 with his fist in the air after that final try was symbolic of his. You know, the yeah. was such a massive force. So there's a few things, but I think '89 uh, is certainly the peak for me. There's been a few spikes, a few lulls, but yeah, '89, mate. To answer your no, fair enough. All right, Matt, we are out of time, but uh, that was a lot of fun. And congrats again on the book. It's a really entertaining ride. So thank you so much for coming along on the Progressive Rugby League podcast. Johnny, my great pleasure, mate. Thanks so much. If I can give a shout out to people um, if they want to get a copy of the book, it's themilkbook.com. I'll um, sign it for you and dedicate it to themilkbook.com. Get a copy and I'd uh, love to have a chat. Good man. Thanks, mate. Thanks, Matt. Progressive Rugby League. Matt Cleary, ladies and gents. Great to have a book that reflects the experience of being a rugby league fan. More of it, I say. All right, let's call it. You've got a life to get on with. Thanks as always, friends. Until we next meet somewhere in Braddon or Barton or Bruce, rugby league, call me and see ya.